let me begin. I want you to, I want you to picture this, if you would. Okay, uh, a lovely landscape, mountains perhaps, uh, a lake, uh, and fish jumping, uh, a boat moored, and it's late afternoon, and and the sun's still up, but it's not too hot, it's not too cold. It's just that lovely time of the day. The skies are an electric blue, uh, apart from a few puffs of cloud. You're sitting there, you're on the bank, and you're looking across this river, uh, beyond the sights of birds flying in the distance. Beyond that, you can see a, a mountain range, snow-capped, uh, and then the sun behind that. you got the sweet smell of wild flowers all around you. And you can hear the sound of children playing and having fun. As you look down, your own children are there by the, uh, by the lake at the edge where it's shallow, jumping in and out, getting each other wet. And you look and you're just sitting there. Where are you? Where are you? What have I just described? Where are you? Thank you, Stephanie. You're in heaven. You're on the new earth, in the new world. Revelation 21 begins, And I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. Remember when we said when we started this series, Get out of your minds playing harps and floating in clouds and singing hymns all day in white gowns. That doesn't sound like a place I want to be. You may, but I, I, I don't want to be there. Okay? Heaven is a physical reality, a, <laughs> a physical world. It's, 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 we said Eden restored. It's got connection with this world. It's got... All many of the things that we have now, they'll be eating, they'll be touching, they'll be feeling. How do I know that? How do I know they'll be eating, touching, and feeling? How do I know that? Because that's what Jesus did in his resurrected body. And you're getting one of those. The exact same model. The new earth, the new world, heaven, is a physical reality. And it's probably... A trillion times better than that image I just described to you. Because I can only describe the new world by the limited resources of this small brain that I have. Okay? And if you're laughing, he said he's got a small brain, you may have one the same size. Okay? <laughs> right? So, so here's the reality, that there's a brand new world. It's much better than this one. It's incomprehensible. But there's a brand new physical world that was last time we said there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth <coughs> we said there's going to be a renewed humanity the church the new world has an organic worship center okay the old worship center was physical ma masonry it was where in jerusalem thank you it was in jerusalem the new one we have a measure of it now you are the worship center of Jesus. You know that, don't you? 
You are an organic worship center. At the end of the world, this organic worship center, verse 2, pictured like a city, like Jerusalem, comes down out of heaven, okay, down to the new world. Now today, you can get that from the sermon two weeks ago if you want to refresh your memories on that. Now today, part C of our series, there's a union in marriage to Jesus. <coughs> there's a union in marriage to Jesus. Okay, now look, we've got an amazing world to live in, Eden Mark 2, but life on the new planet is ultimately about, dot, 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 finish off the sentence, we've got an amazing new world, okay, to exist in, but ultimately the new world is about about being with Jesus. Every time you say Jesus, Stephanie, it's always the right answer. Okay? So come on, guys. You can't get wrong by just saying Jesus, okay? Okay, it is Jesus. The new world is all about being with Jesus. Look at <laughs> verse 2. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem. We said that's a picture of the church. Okay, made up of Jew and Gentile. Coming down out of heaven from God, assembled by God. You're called to faith because Jesus assembled you. He called you to himself, okay? Prepared as a bride. And here's where we're going today. Beautifully dressed for her husband. The goal of our existence. The very reason we were created. Someone tell me. I don't know why I should do all the sermons here. You tell me. What is the goal of our creation? Why were you made, Sylvia? Yeah. Jesus. Yeah, it is. It's why you were made. And to have it in perfection. You were made. The very purpose of your existence. We all wonder, what is my life about? I've written a book about it. What's life about? Okay? Your reason for existing, breathing, walking. Your primary reason. Your first directive is to live in worship to Jesus. And so ultimately, our very purpose for existence is worship. And at the end of time, that reality becomes our reality. Some of you may be familiar with uh, the Westminster uh, uh, Confession. <laughs> there is also the Westminster Shorter Catechism. Has anybody come across that? Uh, written several centuries ago. A great series of questions and answers going through the basics of our faith. And I want to show you the first one. The first one there. The very first one. <laughs> I think it's going to come up on the screen for us. I think there it is. Thank you. Have I missed something? Next one, please. Um, and the next one. <laughs> Maybe I've missed it. Is it on the next one? I have missed it. It's my own fault. Okay. Look, here's what I want to say to you. What is the chief end of man? Somebody answer me this question. What is the chief, you know, let's go back, Denise. What is the chief end of man? Someone answer me. That's the first of these shorter catechisms. Okay, so there's a question and there's an answer. Okay, the first one is, what is the chief end of man? You haven't got any help today, so someone tell me. And don't get it wrong, and not Troy, because I know he knows it. Someone tell me, what is the chief end of man? Okay, so that is right, but that's not the answer of the catechism. Who knows the catechism? What is the chief end of man? 
No, so that's, that's a good one, but that's not the answer. Does anybody know the actual catechism? Does anybody do this? We're going to do this here, okay? You need to know this. Okay, so we'll do these. I don't know, in some sphere, we'll learn some of these. They're the fundamentals of our faith. We need to know them. Okay, so what is the chief end of man? Man's chief end is to know God, okay, and to enjoy him forever. Let me give you the exact words. To know God and to enjoy him forever. Man's chief end is to know or glorify God and enjoy him forever. What, why was I made? Why do I exist? What is my purpose? It's for me to know God, to glorify God, and this, this unique bit of the catechism, to enjoy him forever. Have you ever thought that your existence is about enjoying God? How do we think of God? When we think of God, if we're really honest, what do we, how do we think of him? Yeah, some distant, aloof character that, that, you know, that if you're on your best behavior, he might be nice to you. But the Bible describes him, and the catechism has picked it up well. I mean, it's obviously not the Bible. It's man-written, but they've captured the essence of the Bible that you were actually created to enjoy, enjoy him. Not endure him, but to enjoy him. And this is what verse 2 of Revelation 21 is telling us. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. So we are made for Jesus. And we remember, whenever, remember, whenever we're thinking of God, as New Testament Christians who previ to increased revelation, when we think of God, the instinctive person of the Godhood that we're thinking of is, Stephanie, thank you. Okay? Uh, I might not get a sensible answer from any of you, but I know I can get one out of Stephanie. Okay? Right? As you've got to think, whenever we think of God, instinctively, the character of God, the person of God that we're thinking of almost always is Jesus. He's the forefront of the image of God that we have. I want you to imagine, look, you go to a wedding and, and, you, and you see a beautiful bride <laughs> walking down the aisle. She's dressed up. She's wearing a wonderful dress. She's got makeup on, possibly nice perfume, nice hairdo, 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 hairdo okay? Uh, I'm thinking of you, George. Uh, uh, nice hairdo, okay? And, and so you're asking yourself, why is she made up like that? Why is she so beautifully dressed? Why? Okay, is it because she's going to stay in a lovely, luxurious hotel in Fiji and she wants to look her best for the hotel staff? Why is she made up like that? For her husband. She's dressed for her husband. The reason we're coming onto the new planet, beautifully dressed, what did we say beautifully dressed meant last week? Remember, it's imagery telling us the truth. What did we say beautifully dressed meant? And we won't ask Stephanie this time because the answer isn't Jesus. What does beautifully dressed <laughs> mean? Yeah, but in what sense? Because of the her, perfect, but the, 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 the theological word is a hurt word. Holiness, okay? You're dressed in a holy way. You're 
perfectly holy. That's what the white gowns means. They're not real white gowns. They symbolize holiness. You're dressed in holiness. So we're dressed holy, and we're dressed holy for who? Who are we made up for? Jesus. Okay, thank you, Stephanie. So we're coming down out of heaven, made beautiful, made holy, and the key point is this. We're made holy with a purpose in mind, with a person in mind, with Jesus. You see, the only way you can cohabit with Jesus, whose perfection without being wiped off the face of the planet, without disintegrating, the only way you can be with Jesus and enjoy him is by likewise being perfectly holy. The only people that can stand in his presence are perfectly holy people. And so we made perfectly holy. Verse 3 is picking up on the symbolism. And I heard a loud voice uh, behind me, a loud voice from the throne saying, by the fact this voice is loud, what's it saying? Look, I'll give you an example. Uh, Jim, listen. Okay? What's illustrative by the loudness? I had to say that because I could see him nodding, you see. (laughs) I'm kidding. What's the loudness tell you? Remember, everything in Revelation is symbolism. So the loudness means what? Important. Okay? It's really, really important. Here's a really important thing. Verse 3, building of verse 2. Now, finally, at this juncture in human history, when the new world is here, now the (coughs) the dwelling of God is is with men, and he will live with them. What's been said? <laughs> Excuse me. What's been said? Let me ask you, if you know anything of, of the Testaments, what was the expectation? Let me put it this way. What was the expectation of the old covenant people? I haven't got a text up there, but what was the comment? I don't know if you, if you might not be aware, and I'm not going to embarrass you unless it's you, Sylvia. Uh, uh, look, you might not be aware, but what was the expectation and hope of the Old Testament people of God, the Jews, about their relationship with God? What was their hope? Did we know? Yeah. Their hope was that one day there would be a perfect tabernacle. What do I mean? One, their hope was, and God gave them words all through the text of Old Testament, promising them this, that one day there'd be a perfect tabernacle. What, what, do I, what am I talking about? I'm using symbolism myself. What am I talking about? One day there'd be a perfect tabernacle. Yeah. What is a perfect tabernacle? What is a tabernacle? What does a tabernacle do? It, it's the presence of God and connects you to him. If you've got a perfect tabernacle, what have you got? The perfect presence of God one day. And the whole of the Old Testament is looking forward to it. That one day Israel would have the perfect presence of God. What's Revelation 3 saying? 21.3. What's it saying? That's it. That's it. It's here. This is it. There you are. That's it. It's here. You've got it. Now, all those expectations, all that hope is finally delivered. Now you have. Look, tell me, can it get any better? 
now the dwelling of God is with men. It's a Greek word, dwelling, tabernacle. Okay? Now the tabernacle of God, it's not the word, but that's what he means, of God is with men. Okay? It's the perfection. Here's a commentary. It was that blue slide there, Denise. Here it is. This will be the most explicit tabernacling of God with humanity since the incarnation. When Jesus was here and when people were in his presence, in whose presence were they? In the presence of God. Okay. It, yes, thank you. <laughs> that would work. Okay. Uh, they were as, as close as you could get. But at the end, okay, at the end, it's even a better tabernacle. Because the reality was Jesus was clothed in human flesh. Okay, at this stage in human history, this is resurrection history. We're in the most perfect union we can possibly be with our God. Now the dwelling of God is with men. Can you see what's happened? All the infrastructure is gone. Uh, the, 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 the city is gone. Okay? There is no more physical Jerusalem. The temple is gone. There's no more need for the temple to facilitate our relationship to God. The Holy of Holies is gone. The curtain was rent in two. The tabernacle has gone. We're left, finally, all the infrastructure has gone done away with. So we're left with either no way of relating to God because all the structures have gone, or what? There's only two alternatives. We're either left with no access to God because he's removed all the infrastructure for, for meeting him, or he, yes, or we've got full access by a new way to God. But without obstacles, without structures, without tabernacles, without priests, without sacrifices, everything has been done away with. Can you see? And now, now we have access to God. Just to him. Just with God. We now have, in the new world, the most explicit tabernacle the world has ever seen. We have the very presence of God directly. Everything is done away with. I don't know if you've ever seen the Back to the Future trilogy. Are you into Back to the Future? Classic, okay, 80s films. <laughs> I've got it if you want to borrow it. I remember watching it recently. So you've got Marty, okay, this young kid, high school kid, and you've got the dark as this, this crazy fella, but he invents a time machine. And he puts it into this DeLorean vehicle. And what he has to do is that when this vehicle gets to 88 miles per hour, you know, like that's what the rest of the civilized world uses, MPH. You know, when it, get, well, when it gets to 88 miles per hour, okay, boy, I miss saying that. Miles per hour. You have all these confusing calculations and measurements in this part of the world. I think it's because you're upside down, so everything's topsy-turvy. Okay, so look, when he reaches 88 miles per hour, per hour, it, it gets translated from where you are into another time frame, into the future or back into the past, okay? And so Marty does this with Doc, so they get up to 88, and he, Marty knows exactly how to do it. You've got to have a road, and it's got to be long enough to get to 88 mph. Anyway, at the end of the movie, okay, Marty's done everything he needed to do in the past. He's back in his present. Doc turns up in the time machine, and Marty's like, what's the matter? You know, we fixed the past. 
And the doctor says, no, there's something wrong with your future. Come with me. I've got to take you into the future. They get into the car together. And Marty can see there's not enough road to get to 88 MPH. And so Marty's like, Doc, Doc, back up. You need more road. We, we won't get to 88 miles per hour. And Doc turns around and says to him, Marty, where we're going, we don't need roads. And the car flies. The point is that their destination changes all the infrastructure of how things were. In the future, you don't need roads because cars fly. What Revelation 21 is telling us, friends, that in the future, all the infrastructure changes. We don't need roads. You don't need Jerusalem. You don't need temples. You don't need tabernacles. You don't even need a church service to facilitate connecting with God. Okay? Now, finally, everything is done away with, and we have God in the most intimate, real, tangible way. And the imagery of marriage, what do you think the imagery of marriage is used? It's an image. Look, we don't literally marry Jesus. Get that out of your mind. It's imagery. Why is the imagery of marriage used? Yeah, because it's the closest relationship that we know of. Okay, it's why marriage is used. Okay, it's what the Ephesians passage was telling us. The reason marriage is used as a picture, because we're to envisage the most intimate, closest relationship. Let me take you back to that image I gave you at the beginning, sitting by that lake, looking out across that amazing scene where I said it's a picture of the new world. How do you think, if the catechism is right, and I'm sure it is, that our future is about enjoying God forever in the future, let me ask you, how do you think you will enjoy Jesus in the new world? Think this one through. How will you enjoy Jesus in the new world? I'm going to give you a clue. It's not by singing all day, and it's not by bowing to him all day, and it's not by wearing a frock that's white. How will you enjoy Jesus in the new world? You'll have a relationship with him? Yes. Give me more. That's a good start. Give me more. Pardon? In a perfected world. So what might that look like? Give me some, give me some de develop the thought. What might that look like? Give me some detail. Yes, free grass in the summer, yes. Yes, yes. <laughs> peace? Okay, living in a world with Jesus where there's absolute peace. Give me more detail. Pardon? Living in Jesus' world, doing perfectly what he expects of us. Give me some more. Living with Jesus where we, we can just talk to him freely. Living in a world where, uh, there's, it's not, where our relationship with Jesus is no longer tainted by sin. Give me some more. Living in a world, we're going to look at it in a minute, where there's no grief, sadness, or pain. Let me, give you some, let me give you some details about the new world. Living in a world where you walk, yes, perfection. Where, yeah, when you walk across a lake with Jesus. That's an act of worship. Living in a world where you, where you travel with Jesus, that's worship. Living in a world where you sit and eat fruit with Jesus. Living in a world admiring the world and the, the wonder of it. 
talking about stars and about being there. Can you see what I'm saying? The new earth is about living a real physical existence in a real physical world when we enjoy one another and particularly enjoy Jesus in life, in doing life. Maybe on a boat, catching fish, who knows? Maybe on a walk, maybe on a journey, maybe just sitting and talking to him as the birds sing in the background and as the sun, if it does set, in the background. Can you see how we're meant to think of heaven? As a real physical world, enjoying a real physical relationship with our God, with nothing in between. So here's the point, Jesus. <laughs> you know, Jesus, church. Here's the point, church. If Jesus is our future, <laughs> okay, if Jesus is what it's all, <coughs> all about, if heaven is just enjoying a new world with Jesus, enjoying all that it offers us with Jesus, what should our lives look like now? That's the future. When you're going to walk with Jesus, travel with Jesus, eat with Jesus, talk with Jesus, hang out with Jesus in a great place forever, what should our lives look like now? What would you expect them to look like now? Yeah. And, and, and come back to you, Sarah, but let me give you an illustration to help us along. Okay. The, you're, a young, you're a young person. You just got engaged. Okay. You've put the ring on. Okay, right? Now, you've engaged to your fiancé. You're getting ready to get married. You're going to spend the rest of your life together. You've given each other your vows. You're about to give each other your vows. So let me ask you, what do you think... Let me take this young lady here. What, what do you think her existence will look like? Do you think she stops thinking about him now? Yeah? Okay, so yes, yes. In preparation, thank you. I want to pick it up. So does she now stop thinking about her fiancé? Okay, if you had to say to her, have you chatted, we call him David, if you had to say to her, have you had a chat with David today? And she says, no, nah, I haven't got time. What would you think? Okay, if you said to her, are you going, are you going for a meal with Dave tomorrow? And she said to you, no, nah, I don't think so. I'm going to eat at home. What would you be thinking? Okay, yeah. If you had to say to her, are you getting, are you thinking about getting the wedding dress? You're looking at how you're going to dress yourself? And she goes, no, 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 who cares? I'll just turn up. What are, you th what, what are you thinking? Okay, can you see the point? If that fiancé isn't preparing and getting enthusiastic and getting herself ready for her wedding, if she has to be told to put up makeup on, if she has to be told to go on a date, if she has to be told to send a text message, if she has to be told to answer the message, what's he saying? Do you think he's going to want to marry her? Because she clearly doesn't love him, does she? Now let me ask you the question. If our future is enjoying heaven with Jesus forever, the marriage, okay, and when we confess faith in Jesus, that's in picture form, the engagement. What should our lives look like from now till the wedding? Being prepared. How? Give me, give me detail. Working on our relationship. Okay? Which means if I'm not working on my holiness to meet Jesus, there's a problem. It means if my pastor has to badger me to get to church on Sundays, like, 
birthday. You want to go to church? What is that, what's that saying about my relationship with Jesus? What might that be saying about my relationship with Jesus? Okay? If, if, if I need to be badgered to be holy, if I have to be badgered to do something for Jesus, if I have to be badgered to, clean, to join a cleaning roster, what's that saying about this wedding to be? What do you think that may be saying to Jesus about his feelings towards us? That's not someone I want to marry. That's not someone I want to spend my eternity with. Can you see the point? Christian, we are betrothed to Jesus. We're going to live in marriage union with him forever. If there's no enthusiasm for our marriage, if there's no preparation, if there's no excitement, if we have to be badgered just to turn up to church, I don't think Jesus is going to want us there. I don't think I'd want a bride like that. Would you? Can you see the point? What should our lives look like now? What should our lives look like now? Someone who is infatuated with Jesus. Have you ever spoken to someone who just got engaged? What are they like? What are they like? Okay. Have you ever spoken to, Jesus, to a Christian who's just come to faith? What are they like? Excited. Have you ever spoken to a Christian 30 years on? You can see, yeah, you can see why Jesus is knocking at the door. Is Laodicea here? Okay. You've lost your first love. You've forgotten about the excitement of knowing me, wanting to be with me, and wanting to spend all your time with me. Remember those days when you were in the Bible all the time and in church every service? We couldn't get you out at the end of the service. Now we can't get you here every week without a battle. Friends, if we're really going to spend eternity with Jesus, something of our experience now has got to reflect that. Listen to Paul. Did Paul, years on from his uh, betrothal to Jesus, still feel excited about Jesus? Listen to him. Listen to him. Listen to him. Oh, someone, someone read that. Because I can't. I'm coughing my. <laughs> someone read that. Is this a guy who's excited about the marriage? And this is years on in his relationship. This is years on. Where's he writing from when he writes that? Yeah, in prison, in prison, in some form of prison. And look at John, who had this vision. He writes in 1 John 5, He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son does not have life. What's he saying about the Christian's experience and reality now, even before heaven? What's he saying? Yeah, you've got life, you've got it. Thank you, Sylvia. You've got Jesus. You've got life. You know, it's a misnomer that when Jesus says it's a complete misunderstanding in John 10.10 10, when he says, I have come that they may have life and have it in his fullness. What are we all thinking? Better cars. Better houses. Better health. More money. You pagan. What's it mean? That's thank you. Theologian par excellence. That's what John 10.10 10 means. I have come that you may have life in his fullness. What he means is, I'm here. You got it. 
I am your life in fullness. Do you see? I am it. This is life in fullness. And if we're thinking more than that, we're just pagans. We're just pagans. Jesus is the life in fullness. And so if heaven didn't have the lakes and the mountains and it was just a black box and Jesus was there, it would just be heaven. Don't you say this when you, when you get engaged. I don't care if we live in a tin shack. Just as long as... Sounds really cheesy. Just as long as I'm with you. We say that, don't we? That's the Christian's motto. I don't care what the future is like, Jesus. Just as long as I'm with you. Which means... I don't care what state I'm in today. However much I'm suffering, however much I'm lacking, however much of a torment my present reality is, and Paul wrote from prison when he said to me to live his Christ, it means I say to Jesus today, I don't care what hell I'm in today, just as long as I'm, I'm with you. Can you see that? I wonder, have we lost something of that? With all our maturity, have we lost something in that in our walk? I wonder if the reason that we bemoan our difficulties so much is because the reality is we've lost that first love, that enthusiasm, that we didn't care where we were, what we're doing, how cold it was. You didn't care if you were standing in the freezing cold because you were standing next to your sweetheart when you caught him. You didn't care, did you? You didn't care how big the phone bill was because you're with somebody in conversation. Christian, the mark of real Christianity, the mark that we're really going to be in heaven is that we're enjoying heaven now. Enjoying Jesus' fullness now, which means just enjoying Jesus. And here's a reality. If we don't enjoy Jesus now like that, you don't want to be in heaven. You'll hate it. Seriously. If I don't enjoy Jesus like that now, if he doesn't give me the buzz and the leap and the missing of a heartbeat now, heaven will be like hell. Because I've got to spend forever with Jesus. And I don't really like being with him now. Why would I want to be with him forever then? Can you see the point? The mark of authentic faith of those who are going to be in heaven is that there's an overwhelming passion to be with Jesus. Now. Now. Christian, you are living the abundant life. Just because you were living with Jesus. Everything else is an additive. And it will come. It will come. You will get the other stuff. Okay? You will get the heaven. The wonder of a new world. The perfection. The healing. The lack of death. The lack of suffering. You get all that anyway. It's, it's a freebie. But the real heaven... Is Jesus. The real abundant life is Jesus. For to me, 
to live is Christ and to die is gain. Do you see what he's saying? I've got heaven now. I've got everything I could want to me to live is Jesus. I'm perfectly content, says Paul. You can't do anything to me to move me from my moment. I'm in it. I'm in the zone. You want to kill me? Go ahead, because I just get more of Jesus. You see? But to me to live is Jesus. And to die is Jesus more. And so let me leave you with this. I'm not going to finish my message. This three-part series is not going to be a four-part series. I'll pick up this part next week. But I want to leave you with that. Let's rediscover our love for Jesus. Get away today, tomorrow, by yourself and just relearn to enjoy and be content. Whatever the circumstance of just having Jesus. Do we know what that means? It means sin's forgiven. (laughs) It means God's no longer angry with me. It means access to my God. It means everything I could possibly want and need. Everything I could possibly need. It means I should be completely and totally content. What did Paul say again in Philippians? I have learned to be content in any and every circumstance. You know what he meant by that? He meant Jesus is all I want. I don't care if I'm starving, if I'm beaten up, whatever in prison. I've got Jesus. May God, may God so stir us that having Jesus is complete for us. So the third aspect of the new world, we had there's going to be a new heaven and earth, new world. We had that there's going to be a new worship center us, made holy. The third one, there's a union in marriage to Jesus. Amen.